My name is Logan Draper, and this is Modern Mad Men, episode number 76. And today, I got the great privilege of sitting down with Dr. Tyler Chaplin, the superintendent for Burke ISD. And uh, it was a really refreshing conversation. We talked about just the current state of education, um, his vision, what it looks like to train kids for a future that they can be productive and they can grow. And so it was a lot of fun. So I think you'll enjoy it. We would love it if you would take a few seconds to hit subscribe, give us some feedback. So let's go. Just some old heads from outer space Like we come from a whole other time and place Mad men Mad, mad men We're good. Now we made it. Should I click a few buttons? All right. Hey, thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. This is something out of my element, but pretty cool. Yeah, it's different. And I never know when people come in to do a podcast, they're always like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And my answer is always the same. Like, I don't either. We're just going to figure it out. We'll as just you figure said. it out. Yeah. Will you do me a favor and introduce yourself and what you do um, to yeah. listeners? I'm uh, Dr. Tyler Chaplin, or Tyler as I ask people to call me, superintendent at Burpernet ISD. I've been there for a little over three years, almost three and a half years now. How, so how did you get uh, how'd you get to Burke? Uh, long and twisted road, as they might say. So I'll give you kind of the rundown. I started in education, uh, graduated from high school, and really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I you know, followed my friends to Tarleton, went a semester at Tarleton, and realized that college wasn't for me. Took a year off and went and started working. And while I was out of college and was working, I was working for PepsiCo as a pull-up guy, you know, going to different stores, HEB, Walmart, different stuff, and pull up the shelves. And was making a really good a really good living, you know, insurance, benefits, all kinds of stuff. And thought, man, I'm set. I'm 19 years old, got a job that pays pretty well. And was getting ready for work one morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning. Got dressed, had my Pepsi uniform on. I'm ready to walk out the door, get a phone call from uh, my boss who said, Tyler, we're slowing down a little bit. We got some cutbacks, and you were the last one hired. You don't need to come to work today. And it, I was like, man, dang it. But it, but it was like a – like a bell went off in my head and said, okay, going to college uh, gives me the longevity, gives me the stability, gives me the um, foundation, I guess, of someone not ever being able to walk in the door mm. or call me on the phone in the morning and say, you don't have to come to work today. And I know the realities that that still is the case in a lot of different situations, including my own. But for the most part, I saw that as my, my path to where I needed to go. So I went back to Tarleton, graduated in... 95 with my bachelor's, I was the stereotype uh, coach, social studies teacher, you know, there at Stephenville, and, and, and I had a great time, really got to know the kids in the coaching realm, but then also coming back into the classroom, I really grew a love for teaching kids in the classroom, mm. able to develop good relationship with kids that, I, you know, they're you know almost 40 years old now, and I still talk to them on the phone. Did uh, the coaching thing for about five years. My wife got pregnant with my second daughter, who's now 18, and, and I said, all right, I need to probably spend some more time at home. My girls learn to walk and talk in the athletic realm, so to speak. So I uh, went back to Tarleton, got my master's, went straight into the classroom, was just teaching social studies, wasn't coaching anymore. Went back to Tarleton, got my master's, and decided to become an administrator, was an assistant principal, principal, and then uh, a few years ago, about uh, seven years ago now, I took a job down south of San Antonio at a 2A school called Falls City. Uh, they, I greatly appreciate them giving me the opportunity to become their superintendent. Um, was superintendent there for almost three years, and then I got the job up here in 
Berkman Hat been here three and a half years, be four years in December. So, and it's been a great ride and a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. What What exactly does a superintendent do? And that might be a dumb question. No, I, that's. I think that's a good question. Each time I transition from from a classroom teacher, uh, you know, you're hands on with the kids. You're dealing with the kids. You transition to an assistant uh, assistant principal. You're still hands on with the kids, but you're dealing with a lot of mostly discipline issues. You transition to a principal. Now you're dealing with um, a lot of curriculum, a lot of more teacher oriented. Now you're dealing with adults. You still have the kids. You're still interacting with the kids as you should. But now you become what's what we in the education business call the instructional leader on your campus. Mm. You carry the vision of the campus. And then from there, from a principal, uh, if you get a little bit more removed to a superintendent role, now you become the instructional leader of, of the district, but also you become the fiscal manager of tax dollars. Um, you become the person who carries the vision for the district. You become the face of the district. Uh, and at the same time, you become the person that builds the bridges and the partnerships for community uh, groups, community organizations, and all that stuff. For a school district to be successful, I've always said most rural communities are two things, churches and schools. And there has to be a partnership between the, the community groups, the church groups, and the school district. It's kind of that triad that has to grow together to support and raise our kids. So. Yeah. And so what is – like what – what does your like weeks look like? Is it ever is it ever the same? Uh, Do you ever know what you're walking into? Well, no. Like everybody, you start out with a schedule, uh, a calendar. My administrative assistant does an amazing job helping me stay on point with my schedule and my in my day to day calendar. Uh, you know, I start out my morning, get up, exercise as a stress uh, stress reliever kind of situation, and then try to get to the office now around six forty five. Uh, a lot of times I sit in my kitchen table and check emails and stuff, quiet time. Nobody's awake yet in my house and just relaxing, looking at emails, formulating a, a kind of a plan for the day, look at my calendar, see what I have that day, get to the office and then kind of repeat the same thing there and then hit just different meetings, depending on what day of the week it is. Sometimes I have a, a civic organization I need to go to, a community uh, meeting I need to go to. We've been fortunate at Berkman that we've had a lot of construction going on, which also is a lot of time consuming meetings, checking, uh, you know, progress and different things like yep. that. But most of my day is making sure that, number one, the principals have what they need to make sure the teachers have what they need to make sure the students have what they need. So that's a summertime schedule. Once school starts, I try to, as much as possible, I take a lot of pride in this, I try to start my day at a campus. So when students start arriving at our campuses in the morning, school starts at 7.50. A lot of our students start arriving around 7.20 or so, drop off and pick up buses and different things like that. So I'll stay at the house till about 7.15, check in emails, and then go to a different campus every day. So that way I stand in the drop-off line in the mornings. I get to greet kids at the, at the door, greet kids as they get out of their car, open their door, shut the door for mom and dad. I think that's an important thing for parents to see. And that goes back years and years ago uh, when I was, was uh, teaching in the classroom. I was fortunate enough, my schedule allowed me to drop off my daughter at school when she was in first grade. And so I'd take her to the elementary school, go through the drop-off line, and you know she'd hug me, get out of the car and stuff, and I knew exactly where she was going. She gets out of the, out of the car, goes up the sidewalk, goes into the building, goes down the, the hallway, takes a left in the cafeteria. At no time was she ever in an unsafe situation. 
but it really bothered me there wasn't an adult standing there. Mm. So I always, at that time, I said, okay, if I'm ever in a situation, uh, a campus leadership or district leadership situation, I'm going to make sure that there's an adult standing there, and hopefully it can be me. And so that was the way I started as an assistant principal and as a principal. I mean, I have been fortunate enough to be able to carry it over as a superintendent to stand there and greet kids as they get in the car, out, out of the car in the mornings. You know, like anybody, that alarm goes off late or we, the alarm doesn't go off and we sleep too late. The way you start your day sets your tone and your attitude for the day. Yeah. And when those kids get out of their car and we're able to high five and say, hey, welcome to school. I'm glad you're here today. It makes a big difference. Yeah. You know? So I like that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I have a 10 month old now mm-hmm. and I, I, I mean, obviously, she, I mean, she goes to daycare, but not like, you know, in school yet. But it's it's funny the moment we got home. Like a lot of this stuff that I'd heard my whole life started making sense. Oh, yeah. Like people would say, like, I just, you know, I want my kid in a school that's safe. And yeah. I was like, I just want my kid to be somewhere that has good sports. Yeah. And then now I'm like, <laughs> oh, like yeah. it is a big difference. Like you're entrusting, you know, your kids to not only be educated and to learn, but also to be safe. Yeah. And and we don't take that trust lightly. You know, we we know that when parents drop their children off or when their parents walk them out to the bus stop and they get on the bus, they're entrusting us with their most prized possession. Yeah. They have nothing they value more than their, their children. And we don't take that lightly. We, we go to great lengths to make sure that first the environment we've created is welcoming and warm. I mean, we want our kids. Being a, a father of a 10-month-old, you know, mine are 18 and 22, but it doesn't make any, it, it's not any less important for me to make sure wherever they go, the environment they're in is welcoming, it's kind, it's respectful, uh, those kind of things. And then, you know, today's society, uh, we get a lot of press about school safety and what we need to do for school safety. And yeah. so we take a lot of pride in making sure that our buildings and the, the term we use, our buildings are hardened, in which, you know, we have vestibules that parents have to come and they have to show their license to get into the to the building they have to go through certain protocols in order to be able to be on campus and different things and you know that's an unfortunate sign of today's times but but it's also something that as a result of today's times is necessary yeah but i'm very very um adamant that at no time are our children in a more safe place than they are when they are at school i mean name another place that for anybody to come in, they have to have a background check. They have to run their driver's license. They are in a safe place. Yeah. And we take pride in that. Now, it's not to say, as we see on the news, that the situations do occur. Yeah. Um, but we want to make sure that they're safe. Yeah. Has that, I mean, obviously being in the time that we're in and things being, I mean, I mean, it's no secret that it's been crazy the last, I don't know how long it's even been, 10 years, uh, maybe well, longer. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, I mean, does that add a whole different aspect to what y'all have to do? I mean, when it comes to like trainings, um, I mean, protocols, is that, is that like really evolved in the last 10 years? It does. In fact, you know, we've had this conversation since the unfortunate incident down in Santa Fe, down in South Texas, that, you know, we practice fire drills monthly. And the last time uh, that a student died in a school fire, I think, was in the 1950s. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's correct. You can quote me on that. But, um, but we see the, the different tragedies that have taken place in the schools as a result of other actions. And so... Uh, if we practice fire drills so much that we've got to the point where it's safe, we need to practice those other drills. We all need to be very aware of what, yeah. of what to do. And sometimes that uh, hesitation of not knowing what to do can get us in a bind if we're in one of those critical situations. So, 
like like we do with fire drills, we make sure that we run drills. We make sure that yeah. we do active shooter drills. We make sure we do um, you know, tornado drills and whatever the unfortunate incident may be. If we are prepared, and we mean the teachers, the custodians, the, the, the cafeteria workers, the secretaries, the students, then you're reacting in a trained manner. You're not panicking. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough thing to, that's got to be a tough thing to train for. I mean, you only do what you can do. I mean, like it you is. said, I, I always, and I still feel that way, like, what is a safer place? Right. I mean, really, like, I mean, you have security, you have trained people. I mean, we've, we've at Burke Burnett, we use a, a training system called the ALICE training, which is an active shooter uh, acronym for, for what we do. And in that, I messed you up earlier. There we go. Nah, we're good. And, uh, in that, we, we train our teachers and our students, if this scenario were to happen, let's do this. If this scenario were to yeah. happen, let's do this. The thing that we have to really balance is at what age is it appropriate to talk frankly and what age is it inappropriate and it scares them. Never thought about you that. You know, because if you have, I'm going to use a first grader for as, an, as an example, you can have a different conversation with a freshman in high school than you yeah, can yeah. a first grader. Never you thought about that. You can expect an eighth grader to react differently than you can a kindergartner. So you have to adjust your protocols, adjust your language, adjust, you know, how you're handling things so that, I mean, back to how I created the scenario of, of a learning environment that's safe and secure, but the first part of safe and secure is, is, is making sure that both you're physically safe, but also that you're mentally safe in yeah. a place that is open and warm for learning and you can't allow uh, to be vulnerable to learn. Um, so you've got to make sure that you balance the two. Yeah. That's, I mean, I just never think, I've never thought through, I mean, in my brain, it's just like, you just do what you have to do, but I mean, yeah. you're dealing with what y'all, is it kindergarten to high pre, school? We have pre-K three, third, three-year-olds all the way to all the way through high school. So you cover the whole basis. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of years that someone goes up in that system. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of your life. I mean, that's a, probably some of the most important parts of people's life. It is in the, in the development part, especially the younger years, yeah. you know, and, and that's where the emotional safety comes in equally as much as the physical safety that's there's you can't really uh downplay that but the emotional safety of a young person and their willingness to trust another person and open up to their peers and work collaboratively with other people i mean that is that is taught or bruised when they're really young yeah sometimes you can't get that back if you're bruised too much so yeah that's a heavy weight it is that's a lot of pressure it is but you know i i i Man, I welcome the challenge. Like we we need to do that. Society needs to do that. So there was a, and I'm going to butcher it, and hopefully you remember it. But there's a quote. I think it was in the bio of your on on the website, your bio, and it said something along the lines of, I don't know if it was building or creating, um, you know, doing edu- like building or creating a future that does not exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like that stuck out to me one just because of the conversations we've had over the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but explain to me what that looks like. How do you, how do you create the curriculum? How do you start to build this culture for these kids in a, really a time that's totally different than it was 10 years ago? And it won't even be close to the same in 10 years. Yeah. So let, let me answer that question by backing up even more. So we look at the history of, of education in the United States and we say, what, what was our main purpose? And we go all the way back to, you know, the early 1900s We're we're an industrial factory organization, right? Rockefeller, Morgan, and all of that. They wanted a student that was being produced from schools that could go right into a factory and they could do certain basic tasks. So through that, they really influenced education to be able to teach basic tasks that was going to put 
the the now workforce out of call, out of uh, high school into their factories. And as we've evolved from that point all the way through you know the 1950s and 1960s, and we see society changing just a little bit, we've also always kind of been somewhat of a factory or agricultural type of society. Well, in the 1970s and 80s, now we start seeing a little bit more technology taking hold. Education stays the same. In the, in the late 80s, early 90s, we have more stuff taking hold. When about what, 12 years ago, the tablet was first introduced and it changed everything. Technology changes the way we learn and the knowledge that we have exponentially every, you know, every day. We know more, we learn more, we learn faster. We look at the, the uh, job market today as to what type of a worker we need. And we look at the job market we had 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's not even the same, right? Yep. And so we need to look at education and say, are we preparing kids for a job market that was 30 years ago? Are we preparing them for a job market that is now? Are we preparing them for a job market that is 10 years from now? Because if we're preparing them for a job market now, and I'm a freshman in high school, and I'm preparing for a job market of 2019, then by the time I graduate, based on the rate of change because of technology, because of all the, the uh, inventions and different things that are changing the way we do business and the way we learn, the way we create stuff, then I'm behind the eight ball when I graduated because I'm four years behind. Yep. So we've got to look and say, what do students need to know? And sure, we need to know how to read, write, math, social studies, language arts, all those the subject areas. I get that. That, that I'm not downplaying that. But this is, this is kind of our philosophy in Burke Burnett with our project-based learning. We need to know those, but we need to know that stuff within the context of which our students are going to use those, mm. right? So I need to know math, reading, science, social studies in a context of collaborating with other people because when a graduate who is graduating in 2019, when that person walked across the stage a month and a half ago, they're walking into a world that was not in existence five years ago. And, uh, and when we look at our eighth graders now, when they walk the stage in, in five years, when they go through their eighth grade year and their four years of high school, they're walking into a world that for the most part doesn't exist right now. If you look at the statistics on, uh, on the rate of which uh, jobs are created and then go by the wayside or the rate at which even um, service jobs are being replaced by automation, we're preparing students for the wrong thing if we don't start changing the way we prepare students. So we have to look at a couple of things, and this really kind of speaks to our philosophy in Burke Burnett. We need to teach our kids how to collaborate with other people. We get that from the, from the business world. What do you need in a graduate right now, whether it be a high school graduate or a college graduate? What are you looking for? We want to know if they can collaborate. We want to know if they can communicate with other people. We want to know if they can look at a problem and on their, on their own figure out how to reason it out or using other people feel how to collaboratively reason it out. We want to know that when they hit a bump or a hurdle, they have the persistence to go over the bump, to not get stuck and throw their hands up and say, I don't know how to do that. Well, if we continue to educate the way education has always educated students, which was preparing them more from agricultural factories type of world, we're not preparing them for those things. Yep. How do you teach a kid, a student, grit and persistence? Yeah. The only way you can do that is putting them into a situation where they feel some pressure, they feel some anxiety, they feel some struggle, and you support them through the struggle. You don't hand them through the struggle. Yep. You don't eliminate 
whatever they're causing is causing them to struggle, you support them through their struggle, but make them struggle. That way they get in the real world or when they graduate. Yeah. When they when they graduate, they're going into a workforce and they have those skills already because they felt the struggle in there. Yeah. I think that was probably something. I think that listening to you talk one of one of our first meetings a few years ago, I was I feel like you were speaking my language and I obviously have no idea how the education should work. I mean, I'm I'm far from um, understanding that, but as somebody who went through it, obviously, mm-hmm. I remember in high school, um, just kind of looking around and saying, like, man, a lot of these, a lot of my friends aren't going to go to college. And really, after they walk the stage, it's it. I mean, they didn't have any tangible skills. Mm-hmm. They're very smart, and but it just whether it be because of home life, um, and they didn't have any anybody really to push them. Um, and so I think it's been cool to see, you know, y'all are doing a lot of stuff. Um, I, I don't know if this is the project base, but like with like automotive and, um, we talk a little bit about how, how y'all are doing some of that. Yeah. We, we've, uh, when I got here, we kind of took a survey of our, our career and tech classes. Uh, by that it would be, you know, our, our agricultural classes, um, our automotive at the time we had general motor repair, uh, we talk, look at our robotics classes, yep. um, and we said, what, what do students want? Uh, and they, we surveyed our high school students and they came back with a couple of different things. And we've tried to steer our direction of creating those courses for them. One of which has really exploded is our, our students came back and said, we want a cosmetology class. And so we brought in, we've worked, we finally finished just a cosmetology lab. We have students who are now in year uh, three of cosmetology and, you know, that's creating a skill in high school that they can walk across the stage and make a really good living. You know, yeah. I mean, I know what I pay for my girls to get their hair done. You can make a very good living in cosmetology and stuff, but that's just one example. The other one is uh, other examples are allowing students to see through whether it be auto body, which we had for a little while, whether it be uh, what we're bringing in is uh, be- uh, building trades, trying to do that. Um, Auto, uh, farm mechanics, different stuff like that, trying to see how can we create scenarios where students can do things, and you almost approach it both ways, can find what they're passionate about or can find what they're not passionate about, yep. right? You don't want someone to go to you know, TSTC or even Vernon and say, I want to be a cosmetologist. And so they plan for that, get there, spend money on the courses and stuff. And then realize halfway through, I don't really like this. Yeah. You know, I'd rather have them have that experience in high school in, in whatever realm So before they spend the money with that. Yep. So we've dedicated a lot of time and a lot of resources, and we offer opportunities for, for a financial um, offsets to be able to help our students get those certifications, whether it be cosmetology, uh, culinary arts. We have a great culinary arts program. Certified nurses assistant program through Vernon College is amazing that we, we hosted our high school so we have a lot of opportunities for students to walk across the stage and immediately be certified to do some stuff. How do you all decide that? Like, how do you decide which ones? Uh, is it surveying the students? Is which it just looking at the market? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, surveying the students is where we are right now. Uh, you know, I sat in on a conference about uh, two and a half, three weeks ago. That was a school district in Texas talked about going to the businesses in the area and saying, what type of worker do you need? And try and satisfy the labor force need that is in their local area. So that's something that we're working on reaching out to the local industry, uh, both in Burke Burnett and in Wichita Falls, uh, to see what they need. I've met with the chamber in Burke, met with the chamber in Wichita Falls, uh, talked with them about their talent partnership that they're trying to do and how Burke Burnett can be a part of that as well. We 
we're working on something we call uh, our community uh, bridge program, um, community connections, to try and see if we can make a connection with our high school students going into a certification program, high school students going to college, or high school students going directly to the workforce. But having the local workforce be that bridge for our students, uh, giving them opportunities to see and try different things, whether that's a job, an internship, or whatever it may look like. But just trying to give them and open those doors, you know? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that, that's got to be tough to figure out. I mean, just because it's trendy and cool doesn't mean it's right. Oh, that, yeah. That's, but that's, that's tough. It is. It, it, and it's a, it's a big lift because, you know, it's easy for me to say, hey, we need to pro- provide internship or, or work opportunities for our students. But then we look around, I look around Burke Burnett and there's not, there's not a lot of opportunities. Some fast food and we appreciate those that do, but there's not a lot. So we expand into Wichita Falls. We work with Wichita Falls businesses and different things, but, you know, there's got to be job opportunities for them. I'm not going to ask a business to create a position just just for one of our students. Uh, some do because they understand the need and, and how that's paying it forward, but it is, it's tough. Yeah. Do you think that with, you know, with how much times have changed with the digital age that we will see like change in terms of um, like a curse of being necessary or um, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I, probably in the last, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but in the last two years, I've not read a book, but I've probably listened to a hundred. You know, so it's funny, like even at the end of the month for us, we do billing and I have to write stuff and my hands start hurting because mm-hmm. I don't write anymore. It's weird. Everything's done on a computer for me or, or I've, I either voice it or I listen to it. Do you think that stuff will change or do you think it's something that we got to fight to say, like, these are really core things we got to keep them? I, I think there's going to be I a I know that's not a fair question. No, no I, I, I think it's a legit question. We get the question about cursive all the time. I think it's a fair question. I think technology has allowed people to learn in the way they want to learn. And so it allows them to customize their learning. Some people like to sit down and read a, you know, if I'm going to read a book, I want the book. I want the pages to turn. My wife, when she reads, she's got to be on a Kindle. She doesn't want to hold a book. Uh, You know, some like yourself, you just said, I don't want to read the book, but I'll listen to the book and gain the same knowledge. So to me, it's just different ways to spread information and be engaged with stuff. As far as programs in in schools and, and things, I get the question about cursive a lot. And, and it's kind of a philosophical question, a philosophical answer. I had someone ask me one time when, or tell me one time, and it was a great answer. We talked about uh, handwriting and cursive and typing and stuff. And, and the gentleman's response was, when was the last time you walked into an innovative pencil lab, right? Pencils are there. We, we, don't, we, take, we don't take them for granted. We just know they're there. But that's not necessarily the main mode in which we're going to communicate by writing stuff. Yeah. Because there's other modes that may be more applicable to whatever task we're trying to do and so i th- i think that's probably about as politically correct a way i can yeah, i yeah. can answer your question i think when there's a time and a place for stuff i think it's appropriate the most appropriate time and place for cursive is the fact not that we're learning cursive writing but the dexterity learned through writing cursively is is fundamentally appropriate for a third a second or third grade yeah, yeah. you know it's it's the the motions you're creating stimulate certain certain things in the brain that helps you learn so that's a beneficial byproduct of cursive writing not necessarily the fact that you're writing in cursive yeah you know yeah that i just always see that stuff and i think it's easy um it's like people the way they treat our industry it's easy to look in from the outside Mm -hmm. and give like for me to sit down and give you ideas like here's what i think you should do 
Um, but you, this is what you y'all do every day. Yeah. And you know, you're looking and you're growing. And so the, I just like, I think about that stuff all the time. Like I remember being in high school and be like, I'll never use this. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it I didn't, but now like later getting into stuff, I'm like, I get some of that makes sense. Like I get why I did that. Yeah. And, and two points on that one, sometimes we do stuff in school. That's the process of doing that we learn from, not necessarily the task we're doing. Right. It's yep. the process in which we're, we're developing certain skills that we'll use later. Uh, the teacher just happened to be having it learned through this certain task. Um, so I, I, th- I think you're right there. Um, John, a blank on what else you asked me. Um, no, I will. Oh, school. When everybody has been through school, right? Most people have gone yeah. to at least some form of school. So we all have a vision of what school looks like. Um, and that, is a big hurdle trying to change school and what the way we do school and the way we educate students today, because every ha- everybody has their vision of what school should look like. And that vision may be, um, I don't want to say distorted, but it's their vision because it's their experience they had. And if I learned cursive in third grade, my child needs to learn cursive in third grade. Well, your child's not in the same world that you're in. Their, their activities, their job, their requirements and stuff is yeah. not the same thing that when you left the stage, you have. Yeah. So if we continue to do school the same way, which is everybody's vision of school, then we're going to continue to turn out the same type of student or same type of graduate. And that's the biggest thing we have to overcome is as the world and society have evolved, you know, good or bad, whatever you want to argue there. But as we've evolved, our students have to be prepared for that world. Yep. And we can't prepare for that world by doing the tasks that we did 20, 30, 10 years ago. Yeah. What, what's your biggest, um, hurdle on like, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble, so don't answer if you don't need to, but biggest hurdle is that, is it a, is it a state thing? Um, having to fight through, I know the state lays out kind of what this should look like. Is this a internal community parent? Like what, what's, it's hard. Okay. Just give you an example for us. I mean, we've been a company for 37 years and obviously this does not look anything like it did 37 years ago, but not many agencies um, of our size made the turn into the digital age because it's hard to take what you've always done and then realize that it's changed and then move a ship of people. Mm. And your ship is very big. And I mean, just the education in general, it's a, it's a mass. There's a lot of people involved. It affects everybody. Right. So what's your, like, what is your biggest hurdles on like being able as a team as y'all try to move stuff and change? Oh, there's a saying out there and I, I didn't coin it, so I'm not going to claim it, but are we going to be Blockbuster or are we going to be Netflix? Right. Yeah, because because one didn't change because they thought they had it, and one evolved and are still here, and the other one's gone. So, in education, there's a lot of hurdles that go up when we're trying to make a change. Yeah, those hurdles come from a lot of different levels, from the federal level to the state level to the local level, um, to even inside the classroom level. You know, I'm a if I'm a really good teacher, I'm good at what I do. Why should I change? Yeah, well, because again. What the students need to know has changed. That's got to be tough at a teacher level. Yeah, so it, so it is tough, and it and it it gets people uncomfortable, but it has to happen. We also say you can be comfortable, you can be courageous. You can't do both. Comfortable is going to maintain the status quo. Courageous, we're going to move that big ship a little bit at a time. And unfortunately, sometimes moving that ship means you've got to stand up to certain people that are at the federal level and the state level and say, "All right, you've you've got certain restrictions on you on us that we have to follow." But right up to that line of following them, we're going to do what we know is right for kids in spite of the fact that you think what you know is right for kids. Yeah. But I know we're in classrooms every day. 
and I, and I don't think anybody is malicious. I, I don't, yeah. not, not uh, implying that. But I know we live within some restrictions, and uh, and I'll say it myself into trouble. But we lose, we use, we live within the restrictions of the star test. So at Burke Burnett ISD, we educate kids all year long, project based learning. We put them into environments where they're learning the skills and the tasks they need to have within the context they're going to use them when they cross the stage. We teach them all year long, and then at the end of the year, the state says we have to sit down. We have to take a paper and pencil for a test for sometimes up to four hours. And that paper pencil bubbling in dots is going to determine whether or not I'm going to be successful. Right? Well, not everybody learns that way. Not every skill is measured that way. If I were going to say at the end of the year, we're going to pull out a guitar. And if you can play the guitar, you're successful. If you can't play the guitar, you're unsuccessful. It's no different. The problem is not necessarily sometimes with the system. The problem is in with what the system is using as a tool to evaluate learning. Yeah. Star test is a type of tool, but it can't be used as the tool yeah. to measure all types of learning for all individuals because everybody is different. And again, I'm not saying people don't know how to read, don't know how to do math, don't know how to write, but I also will 100% say there's a lot better ways to measure reading ability than there is a star test, Yeah. right? There's a lot better ways to know math and measure math and whether a student knows math than on the star test. Yeah. You know, and very few times in in the real world, in life, do you stop and say, okay, I'm going to use math right now to solve this problem. Usually it's within a context. So why don't we teach it in a context and evaluate it within yeah. a context, right? So those hurdles are frustrating. Yeah. And, and I, I get pretty passionate when I talk about how we need to make some changes. And and it's it's a slow change. People are coming around to the change. But it needs to happen faster. Otherwise, our kids, our students are left behind. We are, I am very fortunate in Burke Burnett that we have a community that understands the need for teaching that way, understands the need for assessing that way. They let us explore a lot of different types of community-based accountability, explore different ways that we can measure and prove that our students are learning. Um, our school board is phenomenal in supporting the fact of how do we educate kids the right way. Mm. Yeah, I was uh, when I, when I was growing up, it was called the tax test, mm-hmm. and uh, I was always really passionate about that because I think for a long time, especially like in my early twenties, I always said that um, school failed me. And I think like having had time and thought back through it, uh, I was definitely not motivated. I just wanted to play sports, um, and I had some of the greatest principles, some of the greatest influences in my life in those years. Um, but that tax test was such a burden on me, and I always felt dumb. Mm-hmm. always felt dumb and and I never failed it, but I, I never really did well. And so a lot of my friends were doing really good and I wasn't, and I always just felt inadequate and I was frustrated and I was like, I'm, I'm I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And it really deterred me from wanting to go to college because mm-hmm. I felt dumb, but I luckily had enough people there, some coaches and some teachers that were like, this is not what defines you. Like these are some skills you have and, and I have great family that, you know, but that always made me nervous for people around me. They were sitting in the same boat as me, but didn't have those people. Mm-hmm. And so I've always hated the idea that there's one way. The entrepreneur in me is hard, was hard to educate. Yeah. That's something I had to nurture, and it took me failing. And some of that might have been good for me. But after processing, I, I definitely don't think that I was failed by the school system. Um, because I think that the people that were in the school system are what helped shape me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of culture that changed. Seeing a lot of things differently was was a game changer. But I've always struggled so much with that test. Yeah. And it, it, it almost killed me. I mean, I was so frustrated. It, I 100% agree. And, and it's, it's, it's a sad way to say that in spite of the system, it was the individuals that shaped you. 
you know, they had to overcome the boundaries and the structures that they were set within with the yep. tax test, the star test, the tabs test, the teams test. We've been around this block for 20, 30 years, and yet we still get blamed because reading scores are not good, reading scores are not good. Well, why don't we try a different system, yeah. right? I mean, why don't we try a different tool that's going to measure that stuff uh, so we truly know what, what students can do? And you hit it on the head. We have third graders who take that test, and it defines them in certain school districts. It defines them and sets them up as a third grader for someone who is lower-level learner, is not successful, is a failure, right? Because they didn't pass a, a bubble-in test on one day yeah. or on two days. And so what does that do to their psyche going forward? And I'm not saying warm and fuzzy, all that stuff. But it does set in a very early age, it sets a standard in their mind that I'm not good enough. Well, it was the tool that was the problem because you are good enough in many things. Yeah. We got to find the right way in which you show that you are good enough and you can do certain things. Yeah. I And I always try to not, you can't, I don't think you can just take your personal experience and apply it, you know, because I mean, everybody has, there's so many experiences out right. there. Y'all couldn't build a system on, on one person's experience. Um, but that's why I've always been so intrigued and encouraged by what you guys are doing. Because it, it covers a lot of the, the the vision. I think for the future is beautiful because it is. I mean, we're we're hiring people every every year that are coming out of colleges that honestly have really no idea what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's getting better, and I think people are starting to ask the right questions and realize like, hey, experience is great, but there are ways we can we can kind of evolve that. How how do y'all do? I mean, I know you do the internships, mm-hmm. but how do you within the classroom means or within that that time of school? How do you give people experience like how do you give these kids like real experience that's where we focus on the different projects we do through project-based learning because the experience to me that they need uh you know you talked about high school might have failed you You talk about going to college and you know my daughter just graduated college with a marketing degree because she didn't know what she wanted to do and i said let's get a piece of paper so people will know you can run the race right you have the persistence and you reflected that persistence with this college diploma she has no idea what she wanted now she's going into teaching now and i greatly appreciate that because uh, she's a phenomenal young lady. But we need to make sure they have the skills that when they walk across the stage at high school or when they graduate from college and they still don't really know what they want to do, they have the skills to go out and figure it out, right? Yep. The, kind of the skills that I talked about earlier. So in project-based learning within our classroom, we set them up where they're designing a project around a driving question. What do we want to know? Whatever that driving question might might be. How do we do this? What is this? And they figure things out through that. They have to work with groups. Sometimes they're working with people they don't get along with, but you got to figure it out because yeah. that's life. It's You're life. not always going to like the person you have to work with, right? You're not always going to be able to Google something and there's your answer right there. Turn it in on a copied piece of paper. You got to apply some stuff to it. So we, we put them in situations in which they have to do that. So it's, it's, it helps with our, with our, career readiness classes and all of that because that's that's more hands-on right there but all the way from the time that they're in pre-k kindergarten first grade second grade moving on up we believe that over time when they're doing this project-based learning type of stuff and they're learning through collaboration with other people through finding out on their own through trying to find uh, primary sources and local experts or experts out there in the field and finding the facts for themselves and coming back and not just regurgitating someone's information, but applying that information and then being able to defend it. And the key to our project-based learning is all that process. But then at the end, they have to have a public product. I've got to show it to other people and be able to defend it. I've got to be able to talk about what I learned through that. So it's not, here's my paper. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. There's your project. 
That's what you did all the way through. Now tell me what you did. Why did you do this? How did you do this? And they've got to be able to defend it to people who sometimes are their peers. Sometimes it's their teachers. Sometimes it's it's people from the community. Sometimes it's a array of people that are experts in the field and they know everything there is to know about that topic. And you have this fifth grader standing there and telling them what they learned about the topic. So all of that, again, I go back to processes. To me, it's a lot about processes. That process, the learn, the skills they've learned through that process are immeasurable. Yeah. They may have been learning math, science, social studies, or whatever, but all the stuff they learned through the process of that has prepared them for whatever they want to do when they cross the stage. Yeah. I guess I never thought about it growing up. Like It was always about learning to know what the end product was. Mm-hmm. And I never realized that I was what I needed to be doing was trying to learn to learn. Because yeah. once I learned how to like learn and figure stuff out, then I was able to like quickly start to say, okay, now I'm going to go to a new hobby or a new product. Um, and then I started getting, it's so weird. I hated school, mm-hmm. I hated education, the whole idea of it. And now I, I spend more time like learning and going through courses and I love it. Yeah. And it, 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 it's probably something to me that had to be pulled out. But I think that, um, that idea of like learning to learn, if you can figure that out, I think that you can figure out anything. Yeah. And it, that's a great way to put it. And I think that's the key to the craft of teaching. The craft of teaching is about designing, engaging lessons that once you know your students in your classroom, how can I, how can get Logan to be excited about this enough where he goes home and continues to research and yeah. continues to know and then come back and excited and how do we get Sally and Fred and all the other students in the room engaged to the point where they want to know more about the topic. Yeah, That's the challenge right now that learning to learn and teaching them how to learn. This is going to be probably my most unfair question, but do you think it's harder to be a student now because you have a lot of more distractions. Um, you have a lot more resources too. Um, or do you think it was harder 10, 15 years ago? 20 no, years ago? I, I think no doubt now, especially, and I'm, I'm kind of biased to what we're doing in Burke Burnett, especially in our situation we're doing as I'm with you. When I was in school, I was checking the box. I was there as a social thing and to, to play athletics. No other reason right there. It was hundred percent social. And, and I sadly can say when I was in high school, a 71 was a wasted point. Why am I trying harder than I need to? Yeah. 70 is a C. I'm good. Why You're would I get a 71? Language. You know? and, and that was my mentality. I didn't read books, didn't do any of that stuff. And it was because of a, a few uh, individuals who kind of sparked an interest because they took an interest and, and engaged me in certain things that I thought, okay, this is, this, I can do this pretty cool. And so I think back then, uh, and I'm quite a bit older than you are, but back when I was in school, it was clearly a check the box. I did it. I did it. I did it. Turn in the paper, all that stuff. I hope to believe, and I feel like in Burke Burnett, at least, it's not that way. In other districts across the state, I don't think we're alone in that. It's not that way anymore. You really have to be able to explore what it is you're learning. You have to engage with your classmates a lot more. And at the end of the day, you've got to be able to defend what it is you're learning. You've got to be able to explain it. It's one thing to write it down on paper and, and as I said a second ago, regurgitate the information. But when I have to stand in front of five adults and explain what I just did and defend my stance on it, and I'm an eighth grader or a fifth grader or even a a senior in high school, that ups the ante because I know I've got to do a presentation. I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm going to make sure I know it because I don't want to look stupid. So I, I think today, and that's just from the education standpoint, I think society in general, our kids today are are faced with a lot of things with, that I know I was never faced with because yeah. of the internet and, and cell phones and social media and all that stuff. It's hard to be a kid these days. They need a lot of loving. So. 
Yeah, it's it's just different. I mean, when I was in high school, I got I the iPhone came out, and we, so we a lot of my friends started getting cell phones in high school, and some people didn't. I mean, the parents were like you're not getting one, right. so it wasn't that big. But that's when social media. I think MySpace was around, yeah, um, and then Facebook came out a little later. Um, but I can't imagine. I mean, I feel like there was enough distraction for me, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. And now, I mean, you can be flooded with information, good and bad, twenty four seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I lived in the country when I, and I'm talking young now, but I remember the days of the party line, you know, and you were waiting on for the neighbor to get off the phone so you can make a phone call to your girlfriend and stretch the cord all the way around the, you know, the hallway wall so you can talk quietly. Nobody's really saying anything. You're sitting there saying so, so. But today it's instant communication, yeah, which is good and bad, you know, it, and that's another thing that, that falls on the doorstep of the schoolhouse is making sure those students and those children know how to use social media know the dangers of social media and how to use it properly and what is good and what is you know fake news or, or whatever you want to coin it as so i think that's a that's a difficult thing but it's i'm glad i did not have to face that when i was when i was young yeah it's starting to feel like too with, with i mean for some people going to school might be the only time they get social interaction you know when i when we grew up i mean we were playing we were playing basketball or mm-hmm. you know doing stuff we shouldn't have been done but we were always outside or together at someone's house and I feel like a lot of the, you know, the people that have kids, I mean, they just want to play video games or, yeah. and, and again, that's not, that's, it's just a different time. Um, but I, I wonder if, if that's going to be a big, big part of, it. I mean, that's social interaction is a huge part of, of growing up and it is makes and, me nervous. And, it, and again, it speaks to the challenge of making or redesigning our learning experiences in school to include social interaction. Because we have students that, you know, go home and they don't, they go to the couch, they play video games, they go to their room, play video games. And they're not learning to socialize with other people. And unless they're doing it in the schoolhouse, they're never going to learn the skills. And when they walk across the stage, they're going to have to be productive at some point. Uh, and, and if you don't know how to interact with other people, you don't know how to communicate, have just a basic conversation with yeah. somebody, it's going to be hard to be successful. Yeah. Isn't it wild to think that there are people right now that are in their early 20s that make way more money than you and I play in video games? Yeah, no doubt. Or In arenas? Yeah, yeah. Or what is the term? Uh, uh Social media influencer. Is that the term? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's a real thing. I've heard my girls talk about how much money some of these people make as a blogger or as a social media influencer. And I'm thinking, my goodness, well, you know, maybe that's great for some people who have my hats off to them. I don't know that everybody can do that. So no, you know, no. And it's, it's so weird to see that as that's playing out. I mean, because I mean, even for us in marketing, you know, it used to be 18 was the cutoff. You could market below that. When I get down to 13, Mm -hmm. Because you think about YouTube, how many of these even younger kids are watching, you know, unboxing videos or toy videos, yeah. you know, and these 12, 13 year olds, you know, they're watching makeup tutorials and all this stuff. And I mean, from a marketer's standpoint, they may not actually be able to make the buy, um, but they definitely can influence the buyer. Definitely. And so it's interesting to see like the, how much, how many of them are on, I mean, Facebook's now old news to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's scary and it's good. I, it, we, we always kind of push back. It's it's just the evolution. We can't stop it. Yeah. We can either grab about it or embrace it and try to make it the best we can. Right. Um, but it's interesting. It, I think it'd be tough to be a kid at this point. I, I agree. I, I we're think, a parent. Yeah. I might need to spend some time with you having <laughs> two daughters. You have two I daughters, know. correct? I do. 18 and 22. One Man. just graduated. My oldest just graduated from Sam Houston. And as I said, she's me a teacher. She had a job interview in Houston this morning. So pretty proud of her there. And my youngest is a, she's 18, but she's a junior at A&M. She's phenomenal. So 
very proud of those young ladies. So, That's awesome. But it's it's tough. I mean, I had hair at one time, and I I tell them I had hair when they were born, and I don't have any anymore. So, I, but they've been uh, they've been good. I give them a hard time. I'm terrified. Yeah. Of a my the Draper side, our family has never had a girl. Really. And so having a girl, it's like I never thought this would happen. So I didn't even process it. Yeah. And it's the best thing ever. Oh man, it's um, incredible. But knowing that she'll be 13, 14, and fifteen. Uh, makes me so nervous. Maybe not even for her, yeah, but for the world. There you go. I'm well, nervous. Well, that's it. You know, we raised our girls saying we they need to be humble, they need to be respectful, and all of that. But you know, the girls need to today need to have a little bit of attitude to them. They need to be able to put their foot down and stuff. And I've got two that definitely can do yeah. that. So. And you've met Caitlin. Yes, she's yes. got it. Yeah, she's, she's got it. She stomps me out two, three <laughs> times a week. She'll verbally break me for. For just because she needs to. Yeah, yeah. That's good for me. And it's good for all of us. <laughs> yeah. It's good for all of us to be put in our place every now and then. So, Yeah, I think uh, I think the challenge that y'all have today is tough, but I think it's a beautiful journey. And I think it's the most, um, I mean, most important piece. I mean, it's the future. It is. And, I, I you know, I, I get pretty passionate when I talk about our, our role in society and preparing the next generation. And I talk about paying it forward because, you know, someone paid it forward for my parents and my grandparents. Someone taught them what they needed to know in order for them to be successful and for their children to be successful. And I hope I've, you know, setting the stage and preparing another generation of students to be successful and them, their students to be successful. Um, but in that process, we have to evolve. We have to understand what it is they need in order to be successful. Um, you know, education is what make all other, other occupations possible. It is the root, the foundation of everything that is done is education, whether it's formal or informal, yep. whether it's working with your mom or dad, whether it's going to school every day, whatever it may look like, that's the, that's what makes everything else possible. Yeah. It's kind of important. Very important. <laughs> and I think that's where I probably, I saw education growing up as what happened in between some walls. You know, and then I went home and then I could check out. And I think now looking back, I just realized that it's an all a life thing. Yeah. You know, you don't learn how to do the dishes by watching a YouTube video. I mean, right. maybe that's how the future will be. Yeah. But I learned because someone made me stand the there dishes. and do the dishes and then checked how I did it and then made me correct what I didn't do. And that's, right. I mean, that's how I learned to mow the yard. And um, I guess I just didn't realize, like you saying, like it's an all of life thing. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's everything. Yeah. It's how else do you learn? Yeah. It's everything we do. So, uh, informal or informal education, it's everything we do. So, yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking your time in the summer. I know you're super busy to nah. so come sit down and just talk about this stuff. I, I'm, I'm passionate about trying to figure out what it looks like for us to better make, I mean, even our employees and even the next generation a better space. Like, how do we leave them with better tools, with better ideas, and better resources to change their families, to change their pond. And, uh, and I think what you guys are doing is doing that. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime I can, I can hopefully try to spread the message of risk-taking and challenging the status quo and challenging the way things have always been. I think that's the way we improve. We don't improve by maintaining status quo. You got to challenge things and challenge things. And, and our, you know, youth are primed for challenging whatever is there. Uh, unhandcuff them and let them go, yeah. you know, let them challenge it and see what they have to say and see how they're, how they're going to react and, Sometimes there's a better way. Yeah. So, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah. We so we close it out, and I'm excited about this. But we always close it out um, with a word of wisdom. So it can be anything. It can be life. It can be school. Whatever. But just like, what's something that people listening right now like you want them to know? Oh man, that's catching me on the spot right there. Uh, I, I think I kind of echo what I just said. 
Um, you know, I, I, there's a quote, and I mentioned it earlier, you can be comfortable or you can be courageous. You can live in your comfort zone in which your comfort zone is going to be yours and it may not inflict on anybody else's. Or you can push the comfort zone and be courageous and you can get people to change in a good way. Because sometimes being comfortable is only a way. You huh. never know what's over the next hill. You just got to push to the next hill. So I, I encourage people to, to get involved in their children's lives. Read to your children. Talk to your children. Right. Talk to your kids and uh, uh, get involved in the school stuff because it's important. So. Yeah. I, uh, my daughter just found out this week what Alexa was. Uh, and she's terrified. Yeah. As soon as it starts doing anything, she just locks up. And so, and it, what uh, I was talking to my wife about it last week, but what made me real nervous was when you're having a tough day, it's easy to set her down and throw on a show. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to feed her, and she was like, just had her mouth open. I was just putting food in her mouth, and she was just watching TV. Yeah. And it terrified me. Yeah. Because I realized how easy it is. You're tired, come home from a work day. It's like, hey, let's just survive the night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes me nervous, even at 10 months old. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on there. The best thing you can give your kids is your time, you know, down, power down that tablet, that TV in this case, give them your time. It's, they're so influential, especially at 10 months all the way through their, their younger years. Very influential. Yeah. She's um, made me feel guilty. Develops their personality. She's made me feel guilty about my, the amount of time I spend doing, doing stuff and like, I should be a whole lot more present. And so yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about the journey. And I yeah. probably need off the podcast time with you to learn over the next <laughs> few years what it looks like to raise I don't know, some great daughters. If you're if you're at least a little concerned, you're ahead of you're ahead of the game. I'm terrified. You're doing good, man. And I love it. And you don't ever not get terrified. My, like I said, mine are 22 and 18. I'm still terrified every day. But you know, so it doesn't go away. No, no. Okay. I don't know that it ever will. Yeah. So probably it's, not. It's a different kind of terrified. But, but yeah. it's good, man. Enjoy the journey. I will. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I've been scribbling words on a cocktail napkin, scratching a lucky strike ad madmen. My rapping is sorta old-fashioned, window shopping, hip-hop and mannequin. Roger to his Don Draper, we make songs, elevator music, rock to the PM Don, copping a new John, mocking your crew song, I'm dope in a pocket, plus hot with a suit on. 